Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered, my weekly podcast on entrepreneurship, being fearless, and getting out of your comfort zone. Over the next few weeks, I'm planning on hopefully bringing on guests along with using my own personal stories and experiences to inspire and empower you during this slightly bizarre time in the world. So before I get into this episode, make sure you're following on social media at at Alexa underscore Curtis, as well as the podcast, which airs on every streaming platform weekly at at T-I-L-U podcast. So when I first started my career, and I've talked about this in the past because I started my blog back in 2011, there was a group of girls from the Blonde Salad to Sincerely Jules to Natalie Suarez, who all started and were older than me at the time, but all started around the same time. So when I started going to Fashion Week when I was about 14, um, you know, this was years ago, I was always seeing these girls there. And this was kind of the power group of bloggers. The term influencers wasn't even around. But if you've followed the rise of this industry since the beginning and since I started this website back in 2011, you've probably heard of DBA, which is a company called Digital Brand Architects. And one of the founders is Raina Penchaski. She is the CEO and co-founder of DBA. And DBA really went on the map for being the company to start representing and diving into this market of bloggers and influencers and pairing brands with bloggers uh, and people in the public eye from people like the Skinny Confidential to Gabby Fresh, and the people that you guys probably look up to on social media all the time. So Raina's here today remotely to talk with me not only about the rise of social media and the term influencer, but give her honest opinion for those of you who are aspiring to pursue this kind of thing as a full-time career, uh, what to do. So Raina, thank you so much for joining the convo today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of I'm very course. excited about this. Well, take us back to before DBA started. I'm really curious about your background, where you went to college, and then obviously we can go into more on how the rise of social media has played a major part of your company. So um, I'll give you the, the brief synopsis. I am a college dropout. I dropped out of BU when I was 19 and started working. So I started my career as a publicist when I was 19 and I worked for Edelman PR. And at the time we were, I worked in, in a division that was called the high technology division. It was like Oracle, Microsoft, Sun, all these like back in the day, major, what you would call tech companies. And I decided that I needed to follow my passion, which was fashion. And I somewhat stupidly left this incredibly exciting world of working with those technology companies and then went into fashion. And I started to work. I worked for Neiman Marcus. I worked for Saks. Um, and then ultimately I ended up at, at a slew of various PR firms in New York. Um, this woman, Peggy Siegel, who recently has been shrouded in some controversy, but was sort of like a, uh, queen of PR back in the day in New York. Uh, um, and so I, I had always been 15 years after I dropped out of school, it was a publicist. And it was while in my last PR job, when I was the head of communications um, at Coach, the handbag company, I had been there for eight years. And towards sort of the end of my tenure there, the last couple of years, I was seeing um, just our, our, our customer was really inspired by things other than, you know, Vogue and Style.com to date myself a little bit. But 
she, there were these um, bloggers. And, and really, at the time, they were street-style bloggers. The word influencer, as you mentioned, didn't even exist. And we were just seeing our customer was, was you know, referencing these women, people like um, this girl, Crystal Simpson. I think she had a blog called What is Reality Anyway? And Carla Darris from Carla's Closet, who now has a line uh, called The Line by Kay. And a number of these women, they were all women at the time. And so the sort of marketer in me was sort of perked up and was like, there's something there. You know, it was always looking at someone like an Emily Schumann and thinking she's Martha Stewart in her own way and the sort of the future of what Martha Stewart's going to look like. And so that was the original kind of genesis of just the idea of these women as brands. I, I in, Back in the day, I had sort of like skipped over um, a little bit of I always saw them as like their individual brands. I kind of skipped over like, you know, 10 years of their trajectories and, and saw them as like their, their eventual selves as like offline brands. Um, and that was, that was the, that was sort of the origins of it. And to give some insight into the timeline, you mentioned like cupcakes and cashmere, um, you know, the founder of that, what, what year was it when you started realizing there's something here before the term influencer even was coined? So, we had started sort of talking about this idea, honestly, as in 2009, and then 2010 is when is when DBA was founded, um, which actually predates Instagram, believe it or not. So it really was just all about blogs and YouTube channels back then, um, and then Instagram, you know, came and, and sort of ch and changed everything, um, as platforms do, and and then I think in the the first few years of DBA was a lot of trial and error. Um, and we were really lucky. I always say this. We were very, very fortunate that we made a lot of mistakes when no one was looking. I think that's a real key as an entrepreneur. You're going to make mistakes. You just are because like anything in life, you don't really 100% understand it until you're doing it and until you're screwing up in it, really. Um, do you kind of figure out the right way? You've got to make the mistakes to get on the right path. And it's a matter of just being able to like pivot really quickly and acknowledge that something's a mistake and then move on and learn from it. Oh, yeah, I couldn't um, agree more, especially on the term of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, mistakes are, are so important. And so we were lucky. So the first few years was a lot of trial and error. Um, and we were really first. I mean, there wasn't anyone else who was doing what we were doing. And in the beginning, it was so it was such a David and Goliath for us because it was us, this like tiny baby, all female. I mean, there was, you know, it was a handful of us early days. Um, and then you had like CAA, WME, UTA, um, who were, you know, these, these giants in their, in their respective talent in, you know, in the, in the talent field and more so in traditional talent, but they were all obviously getting into digital talent. So it was like DBA versus, you know, the, the huge talent agencies. Um, and it felt very David and Goliath, but it also felt incredibly exciting for us. And, you know, I'm a competitive person and, you know, my team are pretty competitive as well. So it definitely fueled us. I want to go back really quick to when you said you dropped out of college. So I know you're from Miami. So how does a college dropout? I personally didn't go to college, uh, but I don't suggest that most people don't go to college. I am a big proponent of it. So how, how did you go from dropping out of college to then getting a lucrative position at Edelman? Because that is a huge firm. So I think that most people who don't go to college are the biggest, are the biggest advocates for college. They end up being you know, the people scream, you know, telling, telling everyone else to go to college, which I am the same way. I'm like, go to college, learn. I think, I think knowledge yeah. is what's the most important wherever you're sort of gleaning that. Um, I got the, what started as an internship 
at Edelman because of my dad. He worked there and he got me the job. So nepotism, um, for sure. And I think that, you know, utilizing not everyone has that privilege. And I acknowledge that, that I, I had a, I had a leg up there and I'm, and I'm incredibly fortunate and very grateful for it. Um, but I think that it's important to, and I'm a huge proponent of this, as is everyone at DBA, that you have to open your hand really wide um, and open doors for women. And so I think in this day and age, we're living in a really great time, which is if you reach out and you're thoughtful mm-hmm. and you don't just sort of send cold emails, but I think that, you know, sort of leveraging relationships and or just like creating relationships, if they don't exist, you know, social media is the best way to DM someone and try and create a relationship to, to have them help you with an opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we'll talk about that a little bit further into the podcast. But your personal background, were your parents entrepreneurs? I mean, your dad worked at Edelman, but what was his position? My dad was, oh God, this is going to kick. My dad was actually in the high technology group. I think he was, he was at the time, he was one of the heads of the high tech group. So okay. and he worked, he worked very closely with Renee Edelman, who was who I worked for then. Um, and my parents are definitely entrepreneurial. They're, um, they're, they're deaf. They're, they're very, um, they're lighthearted and they're, they're sort of, they're, they're definitely not, they're, they're, uh, I'm trying to figure out the right way to describe it. I don't know why I'm fumbling so much. Um, they were always very supportive of me and my being entrepreneurial. I'm not sure if they, I'm not a, um, I'm not a risk averse person. Like I'm, I, I don't mind risk. I don't mind like gambling in terms of like, you know, taking chances, like not actual gambling, but I'm a big, I'm a big risk taker. Um, and my parents aren't necessarily, but they were very supportive of the fact that I was, and they encouraged, they encouraged that in me. So I was lucky because, um, it's funny. And I see it in my daughter now who's five, I am physically totally risk averse, like skydiving, anything like too athletic. I'm like, nah, I'll pass it. That's a pass for me. And my daughter is like totally fearless when it comes to that. So I, I completely am like, oh, I get it when you sort of see a trait in someone that you want to make sure you're fostering, but it's not innate to who you are. So I'm, I am very fortunate that my parents were supportive of me, like not continuing my education and going and taking a leap. And I think they always saw in me that I was just like always ready to work. Like I remember like I was a camp counselor like a year before you're allowed to be a camp counselor. I always wanted to make money. I liked making money. I liked, you know, being a consumer and I, I liked that sort of autonomy. And I think that especially in business and then even more in entrepreneurship, I mean, that fearless mentality can be really key to success. So when you had the idea to start DBA, when you were working with these brands, and I know that Coach actually was one of the one of the brands who was on the forefront of working with influencers and bloggers, because I remember initially a lot of the campaigns and fashion shows they started doing. Was your goal, I'm going to start this kind of company and then bridge together brands and online celebrities? Or were you thinking the opposite? I'm going to find and target this group of online media sensations and then figure out how to kind of make money off of them? So what's interesting is that, and I don't necessarily advocate for this in, in all businesses, but when, when we first started DBA, we were in love with the idea and the, and the philosophy and the zeitgeist behind it, which was these women are content creators. These women are personalities. These women are media outlets. You know, these women are, are a multitude of things. And we didn't necessarily put monetization as a priority. It was about like them as 
as brands, as them, as, and them as the new version of something. So I think that the key is you have to be able to understand where your monetization is going to come from. And obviously you're a business and businesses have to, should be profitable and should understand what, where their revenue comes from. Um, and more importantly, what their profitability looks like. But I think you can understand that without that having to necessarily be the focus minute one, minute one. Um, I sort of, I think we always knew that there was going to be a way to monetize, whether that was through brand deals or publishing or television or touring or, you know, the sort of any myriad of things that traditional talent do. And we always had that as like the template in our mind, which is that, you know, traditional talent do all these things. These women can do it as well. But really, there's so much more because they're media outlets and they can speak directly to their audience as opposed to the sort of more traditional route. Um, so I think we were, it, it was never day one what's the business as much as it was like, what's the change in culture that we're going to be a part of? Oh, no, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, something I've always been, been really fascinated by someone who has been kind of in front of the camera and not as much behind it is the whole world of, of managers and talent agents and publicists and how important they are to building people's brands. I mean, I'm repped by RMG, which is not one of the top 10, but one of the top management companies out there. Um, and, and they don't focus on on influencers or kind of the online celebrity. But I remember when I got picked up by my manager when I was about 18 or 19, they had seen me on a TV show. And, and I asked her, you know, what is it that you see in talent? Because it's not easy to get a manager, let alone get a DBA or a CAA to take a look at you. And, and she said, it's just, I think, a manager's intuition or a kind of a publicist intuition when they take someone on. And I'm curious if you agree with that, because quite often I'm asked, by so many girls, you know, who even have a hundred followers, like, how do I get a manager or ETC? And I'm like, that is, that is not even important until you actually have done this, uh, and kind of proved yourself. So I'm curious what your opinion is on that. So I think it's entirely intuition. I think that it is, you know, listen, there's, there's, we used to say it, at coach, there's magic and logic. So there's logic to it in the sense of, you know, do you have a large audience? What's your engagement like? Do you have a good conversion? You know, and, and there, there are some numbers to this because obviously, you know, when we were talking about it from a business point of view and in terms of, you know, being, being paid for your influence, then, then there's a, there's an, there's an, an, you know, an economy to it. But when it comes to content, which is really what's most important, um, and especially in the times that we're living in now, which are so scary and uncertain, you know, you want someone who you find endearing and who you want, you know, and who provides you some form of comfort or adds some sort of value into your, into your world. And so that really is just a gut feeling. And there, there, there's not a lot else that you can really go off of. And I think that that's why certain people gravitate towards being managers or agents or publicists it's because they like working with talent. They like that feeling of being inspired when they, you know, see, see, you know, I, I, I still, I still to this day love when someone sends me someone on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, and I don't know who they are. And I, and, and I love something that they posted. Like, that's a great feeling to discover new content that you're inspired by. And that comes in a lot of different forms. But I think that if you want to find a manager, or you're looking for some form of representation, you've got to really be able to understand and articulate like who you are, what your content is and, and where you want to go. And I think that a lot of times I'll say to potential clients, like whose career do you like, or whose career do you want to emulate? And it's not, you're not asking that question because you want that person to try to 
you know, be a, a derivative of, of, of who they like, but it's more about like, do you have a vision for yourself and can you see where you're going? And that, and when you, when you can see that vision and when you can implement that vision is, I think is when you're, is when you're sort of ready um, to take on representation. I think that's a really fabulous analogy, especially that's something that I say to, to many young people is kind of who do you aspire to be? And, and I'm, you know, I'm curious on your thoughts, especially when it comes to those viral overnight sensations, because I'm 22, but I'm surrounded by a lot of these people who either have made a brand off of it, something similar to the Skinny Confidential, or I see these viral 17, 18-year-old TikTokers who have no clue how to make money. They have a million followers, and they could either, in a year from now, be the next Oprah or will fade away. So what is the sweet spot in being the next Skinny Confidential or even kind of doing more along what I've done and dipped my toes in so many places versus just being that viral sensation? You know, it's funny that you use, use Skinny, that you use Lauren Everts as an example, because she's been a client for a very long time. And she's someone who I also consider a friend. And she's really one of the more um, astounding women that I know in terms of um, not only her ability to really connect with her audience, but also her understanding of her own brand and of what it is that she's trying to articulate and where she wants to go with it. And I think that that's one of the reasons why someone like Lauren has longevity is because she's constantly thinking and pushing herself to really develop her own point of view, but also as it relates to like the world in general. And I think that that's the biggest thing is the the point, the different, the differentiating point from what I've seen in the course of, you know, being in this space for 10 years is how much you're willing to put into it and how much work you're willing to do. I think that you can have overnight success and be an it figure um, for a year or 18 months, but you can only ride that wave for so long. You can kind of be like the flavor of the moment in any mm -hmm. category and everybody wants to work with you. But it, what it really boils down to is in that first month when all of the opportunities are coming your way and you are like the hottest ticket in town, what are you doing and how are you thinking about what month like 25 is going to look like in year four? Because it's a, hard work and consistency are really the only two things that will carry you. I couldn't agree more. And, and I bring up Lauren a few times because um, I, I was aware that she was a client of DBAs for quite a while. But not only that, Lauren has started other projects, right? Like I know she started a line of like something relating to sex or pleasure because I brought some of the stuff as well as Dear Media. And I think as a brand with longevity, she could have just been a blog, but she has evolved into more than that. And that's what I think a lot of people who strive to be these YouTubers and online sensations is they forget the picture of it's an actual business, right? Like she could easily just post an Instagram picture every day and probably make money off of that. But the goal for her was probably not to just be an Instagrammer or just a blogger. And I think that's really important for people, people to look at in the long run. So when it comes to the personal growth of digital brand architects, what has worked for the company and what hasn't? I mean, where do you find the strengths in the industry and, and the weaknesses uh, for the form of management that you guys do? You know, it's interesting to be doing having this conversation with you in in such a challenging time um, in the world. And you know, we a, a year ago we were acquired by UTA, which obviously changed um, a lot just about the sort of access. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we we were open to it and wanted to do it is because we really loved the idea of having the breadth 
and the access that UTA provides in terms of such a rich history of unscripted television and lit and, you know, the myriad of other things that they do. And so now our clients have access to those things, which has been incredible. And so that's a, you know, a massive win for us. I think that, you know, as we navigate what this sort of new world that we're living in looks like, I think that, that it's going to come back to basics in a lot of ways. And I think that you're going to see a return to, you know, you see it in what people are watching, right? Like they want nostalgia, you want comfort food and, and, and we don't know how long this is going to last, but we know that we're all on our phones a ton more and we're all engaging with content a ton more. And like, there's this sort of balance of like memes that are making us laugh that we all share with like a hundred of our friends every day. And then stories that are maybe a little bit more scary and then content that we like. And, uh, you know, maybe there's like a learning series that someone is doing or, uh, our, our client Kelly Mandel, um, studio DIY is doing the most incredible daily, um, DIYs with her son Arlo. And, you know, I, I just find it so inspiring on a, personal level and just like so proud of, of watching her sort of navigate this on her own, but also then providing so much enjoyment for everyone else and, and people, especially people who have kids. And so I think that, you know, the challenges we're all going to face together are, and this is a, this is a mantra at DBA, which is, are we adding value? Are you, are you, we have to be adding value if we're in the room with a client. Um, and I think that everyone who has some sort of audience in any way, shape or form what we're all going to have to be saying is how are we adding value? And again, that can be humor. That can be lightheartedness. Not everyone, you know, wants to turn to an influencer for new, to, as a new source. Um, but I think that adding value, being honest and empathetic are sort of going to be the tent poles, of, uh, you know, of what content will look like in the future, at least for the foreseeable future. And especially during this time for people who are tuning in and are like, this is the time, like I can finally pursue this side project or hustle or, or YouTube page. Would you ever advise someone who's looking to break into entertainment broadly, whether that's TV, but but more so being in front of the camera, would you ever say your goal should be to create viral content or should your goal be to find that idea, to kind of cultivate, manifest that idea, know your audience, and then start something from there and build it slowly? I, I think this is, it's always annoying when people, when I hear, when I'm listening to podcasts and people answer questions this way, but it's, it's both, right? Like the viral content gets you in the door. So we, we, everyone knows it. The minute that there's something viral, 17 different representatives are like, oh my God, how do we get a hold of them? They're great. But you can't, the viral content is sort of like, you know, raising your hand and being like, I have this going on. I've got this. Look at me, look at me. But unless you've got a follow-up to that or an idea of what a follow-up to that would look like, or some sort of rough outline of it, then I think that if then the next step, the next move becomes challenging. So I think it's hard to, it, also there is nothing, there, there are no rules around what's viral. Like everybody wants to create something that's viral. And I think that that's a little bit of a one in a million chance. Now it's, it's a little bit easier just because so many people are consuming content. But I think that for the long term. It's like slow and steady wins the race, like figure out what you're good at, figure out what your content is like, and then, and, you know, and get out there and be consistent with it. And listen, if you can come up with something that's viral, fantastic. And that's amazing, but it's really, really challenging to do. And you have to make sure that you've got something ready to sort of follow it up. I'm thrilled that you say that because if I talk to people who are my age, it's like viral, viral, viral. And I'm like, no, actually there's proof in the pudding. And I think that your roster of talent, as well as if you look at the Oprah's and the Ellen's, 
no one really got successful until they were after 30. And, and there's a reason for that. I, I think that that slow and steady does win the race. You know, in, in terms of if there was even just something that came to mind of kind of any type of percentage, I mean, when you've seen the market and you've seen how many people over the course of since you started DBA back in 2009, how many people have gone viral and then faded out versus how many people have gone viral and stayed in? Think of like an Emma Chamberlain or a James Charles. Would you kind of agree that like, I would say maybe 2% of the viral people stay in and, you know, 98 other percent of people go viral and then it just fades away? I'd say that that's probably a fair estimate. I mean, I can't even think of, I, I was trying to think of, of examples of like, it's even hard for me to think of those sort of flash in the pan people now because, you know, they just don't stay with you. And it's like, oh yeah, that was great. And then, you know, it's like, where are they now? Um, yeah. And, and it is, it's hard though when you are, I, I think it's hard if you are, you know, 14 or 15 or 16 or even a little older and you are looking at TikTok and like, oh my God, she had a million followers last week and she did 5 million or whatever those numbers are. I mean, the TikTok numbers, you know, they're, they're staggering in terms of growth, which is exciting because it's, it's nice when a plot, when you can do that and be that explosive on a platform. But it's also, you know, if you, if, if you now are doing the exact same thing with those 5,000 followers that you did a month ago, you're not going to grow and you're not going to have that much engagement. So, you know, it's, it's really about at the end of the day, you have to be able to evolve at any level, you know, like what's, People, you know, the people you just mentioned, like, you know, Oprah and Ellen and these like, you know, really like iconic women in entertainment, there's always some sort of an evolution. And they're always there always is a thinking about what's next. And a lot of times those things don't have dollars attached to it. They're just ideas, just content. And it's how do I make sure that I'm relevant? I think that the relevancy is the key. Yeah, uh, there was there was only one person I that kind of came to mind. And it was a while ago. There was like a, these two boys, and then they went on Ellen. They had done like the Vans video. I don't even know if you remember it. And then I remember thinking like they're going to be the next big thing. And within like a day, I think it was over with. And it was so crazy. But it was really the epitome of viral content with young people. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you a bit about monetization because I focus really on talking about this, and especially with entrepreneurship, and not only that, but with this kind of industry and what I do for a career, the kind of the, the different revenue streams that quote unquote influencers, I don't love that term, bloggers and these online media personalities, how they make money. Um, so I've talked about this, but from behind the scenes as the manager and the publicist, what have you seen the most successful ways that your clients have made money um, from social media? So Thankfully, um, there are a number of ways that you can monetize through social media. And, you know, I think that the sort of entry point for most people as they're starting in their careers um, is working with brands. So whether that's one-off posts or, um, you know, brand ambassadorships or, you know, longer term relationships with brands, you know, if you're a food influencer, it could be recipe development, um, you know, fashion, it's, you know, maybe it's going so far as to sort of creating a capsule collection and also being the face of a brand and um, appearing in advertising. And, you know, so, so sort of brand involvement, I think is, is the kind of the first step. And then you start to think of the ways beyond that, like how as an influencer, you, you can be sort of phase one is promoting and working with other brands. And then the second part going into obviously multiple phases are how do I then become, how am I my own brand? And then how is it that I'm monetizing my own brand? So whether that's through um, books or television or podcasting or, uh, you know, ultimately for a lot of our clients, it's physical products. Um, 
And so it's that sort of pivot from I am amplifying and working with and being paid by brands to my own brand is how I'm monetizing. And I think that the key, if, if you want to be a person who's monetizing your influence, you have to be very transparent about that from day one. I think that it's challenging um, to sort of build up a relationship with your audience in one way and then decide you want to sell to them, you know, a year in or two years in. I think it's really important to be really upfront and honest and transparent about, and that's not to say that you'd start, you know, storying day one and like, I just want you guys to know I have four followers, but when I hit a million, I'm going to be selling <laughs> to you. Like that's, it's not, it's not the literalness of that, but it's, what does your content look like? Like if you're a person who ultimately wants a product line, like how do you make sure that you're conveying that that's, that there are attributes of products that are important to you. Like if you want, you know, if fashion is important to you and ultimately you know that that's like your dream and that's what you want to be doing, like you gotta, you gotta bring your audience along on that ride. You've got to explain that to them. You know, you've got to make them a part of that. Um, and honest, and again, it's just, your brand has to be honest. You have to be able to have these conversations. And I don't think that, I don't, I really genuinely do not see anyone begrudging um, influencers, the opportunity to make money. It's entirely about the tone and how you're doing it. Because I think that as women and, and, you know, over 90% of our clients are women and over 90% of our team are women. I think as women, we don't talk enough about making money. And it's something that we talk a lot about at DBA and something we're really proud of is that, you know, we've built an industry that didn't exist 10 years ago where women can, can, you know, earn a living and are entrepreneurs and investing in other women. And that this business didn't exist a decade ago. And that that's amazing. And that's something that I think we're really proud of. And I think that the more that we talk about making money as women and helping each other make money as women, that's only going to open more doors and, and it's going to, and that's a better thing for everyone. I think that's a fabulous fact. And I, and I, truly appreciate and admire DVA because you truly have stepped foot in that area of promoting women from a variety of sectors who have made themselves so successful authentically online. I started something uh, earlier this year kind of called like the masterclass where aspiring entrepreneurs, pretty much it's like an hour or 30 minute chat with me. And one of the questions that I'm frequently asked during this talk is, you know, I have this idea or they started this Instagram page or small company and now they want to start getting paid and they might have five Instagram posts up or, or a podcast episode and they're like, what is the way to make money now? And I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to direct that question to you because I want to know for people who are listening, what would you say? I mean, truly that is, there's no use in my opinion of even trying to make money because you're still so small, but what would you say? How to, how to make money today. Uh, but how to make money when you're first starting out, because now it's such a saturated market, right? So someone's like, yeah. I, I want to start a podcast, but I got to make money off the podcast because how the hell am I going to quit my full-time job and do the right. podcast? And it doesn't work I mean, like that. No, it doesn't. I mean, listen, you can do, you can do, um, Patreon, you know, you can do, you can try that. Um, I think that, I think there's still an element of like having it, ha it has to be a side hustle in the beginning still. And you've got to you know, sort of figure out how to navigate the passion, but also keep the day job. I mean, if you're, you know, there's affiliate links, you can sign up for affiliate programs and try to, you know, see if you can get some revenue that way. But that's really hard to do unless you have, you know, a, mon a large audience. Um, I think it's just a bit of a hustle. It's just sort of a grind in the beginning, putting the content out and not necessarily getting paid for it. Um, but I think that, 
if you're, pa- I think that you, that's six months. I mean, I think that you sort of take those first six months and you, and you say to yourself, like, I'm going to try, I'm going to do this for six months and I know I'm not going to get paid. And it's just going to be about me establishing myself and putting out good content. And then at that point, you sort of take that six months of work and you go and you start trying to sell it to brands and you go and start trying to figure out people who can support you. And, and even if you have a sort of small audience, if you understand your audience and you understand, um, you know, what you, what they want from you, then you go and you leverage that data and you get really specific about the data and really granular with the data and you go and you identify brands that you can go and pitch yourself to and sell yourself to. Before we wrap up the conversation, I wanted to parlay a little bit into something you mentioned earlier, which is utilizing social media to, you said something about DMing someone or especially getting that internship. So if you aren't looking to be the next influencer or YouTube sensation, you want to either follow in your footsteps, Reina, or you even want to work at a PR firm, maybe start a small marketing firm. How can you utilize social media to write a message or a DM or even that cold email if you're sending it out to a hundred people, you know, executives you might want to work for? How can you tailor that kind of email to get you a foot in the door? I think you have to be I think you have to be really specific. I think that, you know, I get a lot of emails every day from people, whether looking for internships or looking for jobs or, you know, looking for representation. And I'd say 90% of them are pretty generic where it's like, I'm such and such and I major in this and I've always loved social media and I think I'd be really great. And, and, and I'm looking for people who say something that, you know, again, not to, not to overuse our phrase, but that adds value. Like, here's an example of an influencer I love and here's why, or here is what I think that I could add to DBA. You know, I'm 17 year, you know, I'm going to be a senior in college and I really feel like I understand TikTok and like this genre of person of TikTok. And I think that I could add a lot of value, you know, helping you try to, you know, find new talent on TikTok. And here's why, like, I think that you have to, I think people don't have a lot of time and there are there are only so many hours in the day. And I think that, you know, the more specific than you can be in terms of like what your skill set is and how you make someone else's life easier and how you can add to that person's company or, you know, whatever that looks like. I think that's the key to be succinct and to really get to a very specific point. And how important is internships for breaking into entertainment? Is that the route to go if you are a high school senior or even middle school and want to break into this industry? I still think internships are incredibly important because I think that they give you perspective. Um, Obviously, in addition to the hands-on experience, I think that the perspective that you get and the ability to sort of speak the language and to have a shorthand as it, you know, as it relates to the industry that you want to be in. You have been such a fabulous pleasure to chat with. Where can everyone find DBA on social media as well as you and find out more about the company or perhaps any uh, internships as summer comes about? <laughs> well, on our website, um, digitalbrandarchitects.com is where you can find uh, any information. We're obviously on Instagram as well. I'm on Instagram too, so feel free to DM me or you can email me through the ping me on Digital Brand Architects website. It might take a few days to get back to you, but I promise you'll hear from me. Well, thank you so much for not only building a company that focuses so heavily on 
women empowerment and you yourself being such an inspiration, but for taking a risk on this side of the industry after seeing it evolve. I mean, it's it's amazing for what DBA has done and especially being acquired by an even bigger firm in the long run is worth a round of applause. So if you have listened to this episode and you enjoyed hearing about DBA and Reina, I would highly suggest not only sending her a message on LinkedIn or Instagram, but looking at how her talent roster has evolved since the rise of social media. Because like I always say, doing stuff over the long run that might take longer and more work will really be able to set you apart from people who go viral in that instant. And every single one of her clients has cultivated a fan base based over a solid period of time. And I truly respect that. So thank you so much for being a guest today. For everyone tuning in to episode uh, 116 of This Is Life Unfiltered, make sure to follow on social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis and at T-I-L-U podcast. And you can see a recap of this episode on lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com and after every episode. And I'll see you guys next week for episode 117. (music) 